0: a lesion looks like? Is it ulcerated, crusty, edematous? It's also really important to think about the distribution of that lesion. Where is a lesion? Because sometimes that is overlooked and can be a really large part of helping us get to the diagnosis of a dermatologic disease. So when you're first looking at a pet and examining them, hopefully from the nose to the tail and in the ears, and really getting a full look into what their skin is doing and not just zooming in on one particular lesion, think of a couple different things. Um, First of all, before we even talk about anatomical locations of these lesions, what are the basics? So besides descriptive terms like ulcerative, crusty, scaling... Is it a localized lesion? Like is it just one lesion on the limb and we can't find anything else abnormal on the skin or in the ears? Is it multifocal? Maybe there's a few different lesions present on the trunk, but it's not necessarily all over the body. Well, that could be very different than a generalized lesion where the entire trunk is wiped out, say with hair loss or erythema or scaling. So taking a step back and saying, is this localized, is this multifocal, is this generalized? Then another part that's really important to think about, and, and I see this overlooked a lot and I can overlook this sometimes too, is, is this asymmetrical or is it asymmetrical? And you know, I've talked a lot um, about unilateral and bilateral otitis, like, is it just the right ear that's always affected year after year? Is it both ears? Because that can tell us a lot whether we have an allergic otitis versus a mass in the ear that we're concerned about as a primary differential. But the same goes when we're looking at the skin too. So if we notice something symmetrical, like it evenly affects both sides of the trunk, that might start to have us think of internal causes, things like endocrinopathies or an autoimmune disease. If both of the front paws are symmetrically affected with erythema, then we are going to think of things like allergies, something that's an internal disease process that's just within the body. That can be different than something that's asymmetrical. So if we only have, say, two areas on the right side of the trunk affected, Well, infections are going to move up on our list, though infections obviously can kind of be widespread and and become symmetrical as well. But we know that we can get multifocal areas of pyoderma or malassezia dermatitis. Parasites, Um, so different parasites, whether they are ectoparasites, fleas, um, scabies, things like that, demodex, parasites can really uh, appear in an asymmetrical presentation. You can sometimes just get one paw affected. You can get, um, like, say, with something like demodicosis you can get one area of the body affected with chylotiella, just kind of depending on how those parasites happen and how the the pet is affected by it. And then obviously, if we have something asymmetrical, we could think of neoplasia. So if we have a round cell tumor, it's only on one area of the body. And then we go on to regions of the body. And this is what I want to spend a majority of this podcast on in, in discussion because where these lesions are, and let me start by saying, as, as is true for always with dermatology, it always depends, right? Like there's no real 100% clear-cut answer on some of these things. So when we go through whether an infection is asymmetrical or what region of the body is affected, obviously not everything reads the book and we can get some differences in how things appear. But we really can get a good indication of what's common to be affected if we pay attention to the distribution of the lesion and where it is on the body. So starting with things like the head. So if we have the head of a pet affected, so if it's, say, a cat who's really tearing apart their head, really itchy, crusty, having lesions present there. We want to rule out things like mites, so notoedris. Um, We can see some flea bite, hypersensitivity cats really go after their head. Um, and then in dogs, same thing. So we can get scabies, that they can affect their uh, the pinnal margin. Things like demodex can affect the periocular region or by the muzzle. But we also want to think about things when we have, a, especially a cat that has head and ear paritis or a lot of infections happening there. Things like food allergies. So when I see a cat, if I have ruled out things like ectoparasites with really good flea control, say a really great isoxazoline product like Revolution Plus or um, Brevecto in a cat, so I feel confident it's not an ectoparasite. Then before I'm going to work up a cat for environmental allergies, if they're really itchy towards their head and neck, I absolutely want to rule out a food allergy because literature shows that cats that tend to scratch their head and neck are more likely to have a food allergy, at least as a component of their allergic symptoms. So realizing things like that can be really important. Hey, it's a head and neck peridic cat. Let's rule out things like ectoparasites and food allergy before we, you know, refer for something like allergy testing. Nasal planum. So if we have a dog who has nasal planum disease, our mind doesn't jump to allergies, right? Like that wouldn't be very common unless it's like a traumatic thing. So if we have nasal planum disease, even if we do have crusting um, areas on other parts of the body, then we're going to think of a lot of autoimmune diseases, so discoid lupus, uh, erythema multiforme, pemphigus foliaceous. Um, you can have neoplastic diseases that do that, like epitheliotropic lymphoma. You can get nasal hyperkeratosis. That's just a benign, um, you know, thickening of the nasal planum in some dogs, especially like English bulldogs and labs. If we see oral lesions, so oral lesions, um, especially in a cat, we're going to think of things like eosinophilic granulomas. I'm going to look around the lips, the perioral cavity and look for indolent ulcers, Um, but again, we're thinking more of autoimmune diseases. It's not very common if a dog presents with uh, even a lot of other dermatologic lesions, but they have oral lesions. um, It's not super common at all for a dog to have eosinophilic granulomas. In fact, I really will only allergy test them and work them up for that if they've been biopsied, say by a dentist. So then we want to start thinking this is probably not allergies. If they have oral lesions, like we need to really biopsy and make sure it's not autoimmune or neoplastic. And then there's other things like the axillary region. So, um, a dog that has lesions on the axillary region, most of the time is gonna be either a secondary infection with bacteria and yeast and probably some sort of allergy, especially atopic dermatitis. It's a very classic area for dogs to be affected. I, I hardly ever see, you know, autoimmune diseases affecting the axillary region, especially just the axillary region. Not that it couldn't happen, but it's just not very common. So those if they're itchy towards the armpits, I'm going to do a cytology, clear the infection, and really dive into the history, assuming that it's more than likely an allergic pet. In a classic one that you guys probably think of but don't realize you're really diving into distribution of lesions anatomically would be the sacral region. So in a dog or a cat, if they're licking and chewing their rump – their tail head, then we absolutely want to rule out things like flea bite hypersensitivity and things like atopic dermatitis can still cause that, but we absolutely want to make sure flea bite hypersensitivity is not contributing because we know that's a classic area of the body that flea allergic pets will go for. If you have areas like the limbs, so acrolic dermatitis can happen on the limbs. Well, then we probably need to rule out deep infection. Is it an allergic pet? Could there be underlying arthritis causing that acrolic? Could there truly be a behavioral component from stress? Things like Demodex and Dermatify can cause lesions on the legs as well. And then paws. Paws for me, it really depends Um, when we talk about paws and, and claw folds. It really depends on if it's a dog or a cat, you know, absolutely for dogs, atopic dermatitis, food allergy, um, can cause a lot of paw licking and chewing. We can see demodex cause a lot of problems around the paws, just secondary infection. But when I look at the paws of a dog, I'm also evaluating the paw pads because if the paw pads are really crusty or ulcerated or, um, affected, That's not very common to happen with allergies, again, unless it's traumatic because they're chewing and licking so much. So then my mind's going to shift elsewhere. If I can't find infection and there's a really crusty paw pad, then I'm going to think that there's probably something else going on, like an autoimmune disease or a neoplastic disease. Similar, it's kind of different in cats. You know, when we see clawful disease in dogs, it's very likely that it's related to a secondary infection from something like allergies. But in CADS, if there's claw fold disease and there's purulent debris in that claw fold or perinechia, it's basically, in my mind, pimphigus until proven otherwise. So I'm definitely doing a cytology. If there's infection, I'm treating it and monitoring the response to that treatment because if we don't respond, I'm really worried that there is something like pimphigus there and that we need to go biopsy in that area. So you want to start getting your mind shifting, and to be honest, you guys probably already do this a lot. Again, if I asked you, okay, a dog's chewing their their rump and their tail head, you would probably think of flea allergy. Um, if you have a pet has nasal planum disease, you should be thinking that that's probably not in the allergy category. That's probably an autoimmune or neoplastic category, but you want to be doing that for general things too, like if the axillary region's affected, um, if there's one side of the body affected compared to if the entire trunk is affected, this isn't always, um, completely diagnostic, but it can guide you into what to do next. You know, is it, Worth um, doing a biopsy before you allergy test because it doesn't quite fit the picture of a typical allergy dog. The history and the distribution doesn't really quite get you there. And I have biopsy dogs who have allergies, like they're so extreme. It doesn't look like a classic allergy dog. I can't find infection on cytology um, and it'll come back uh, suggestive of allergies. And that at least guides me on the appropriate path, but I don't want to overlook something or send a pet to allergy testing if it's not classic for allergies, because we could be overlooking something like pemphigus or neoplastic disease. So the things I want you to be thinking about besides what a lesion looks like, is it localized, multifocal, generalized? Is it symmetrical or asymmetrical, wherever it is on the body? And then what region of the body is affected If you see paws affected, are the paw pads affected? If you see the skin around the perioral cavity affected and the pet's rubbing their mouth a lot, well, is the nasal planum affected too or is it not? Are the ears affected and maybe it's an allergic otitis and they're kind of rubbing their head on the ground because of that, um, that paritis. So these are kind of the things that start going through uh, a mind of a dermatologist when we're looking at things, because certain things are not classic or don't fit. And that can really help us to know if we should biopsy versus you know start them on allergy therapy. And they're not always straightforward. And sometimes you have to do things like clear infection first, um, or like I said, biopsy a case, because you're just making sure it's not something that's abnormal because they don't fit the classic picture. So I really hope that that's helpful. Just getting your mind thinking the distribution of lesions will be extremely helpful in your workup of these dermatologic cases.